Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Let's do it. I'm Dan Nathan. That was Guy and Dami talking about NHL Rangers, who are number two in the uh, in the East. There, you're loving that, huh, Guy? Uh, Danny Moses. Uh, he is our co-host of On the Tape podcast, sponsored by CME Group. They also sponsor these guys. Let's get into it. It's been uh, a crazy few days. I don't know about you, and I just want to say this, and I'd love to get your guys' take on this. I kind of haven't been tweeting a whole heck of a lot. Um, I don't really feel that excited to talk about markets and the economy and everything like that when you consider what's going on over there. You know, we've all been in the markets for, you know, at least two decades. We've seen lots of macro crises. Usually they're like financial crises. The first one I kind of lived through was kind of the the Russian default in the late 90s and then the Asian debt crisis. And then we had a dot-com, you know, bubble implode. And then 9-11 was, was very different, you know what I mean? But you know, in the financial crisis, you know, was very different than what's going on here. I don't feel good about talking about markets and money and economy. What do you guys think on that? I mean, I'm just curious. It seems to be a bit of an afterthought in retrospect. I think you bring up a good point, but I think we all share those concerns, those feelings. But again, what we try to do is try to look at things through the prism of the market. I don't think any of us would deny what's going on is absolutely reprehensible and horrible. But I mean, you know, that's what, I mean, guys, like the motivation to like tweet stuff about the market and, you know, talk about, you know what I'm saying? Like that thing is kind of sad a little bit. Dan, Dan, I I would say this, I totally agree with that. But what's really interesting is you can really use what the market is telling you. You don't even have to watch the news to know um, where, you know, oil and what gold is doing and what wheat is doing. It would actually tell you it's a pretty efficient mechanism. So from that standpoint, you know, I think the market can be helpful. Right. Um, but from the standpoint of what takes precedence, you know, obviously what's important is obviously um, what's going on around the globe. But, uh, you know, it gives you a pretty good indication, though. It's a it's a feedback loop, I guess, so to speak. So use it that way. All right. So Guy and Guy Dami had been saying this before we thought there would be, uh, you know, the sort of invasion that's happened by the Russians into Ukraine. And before we've kind of had the loss of life on, on both sides, but sadly of civilians in Ukraine, you thought Guy and Danny, you guys both thought gold was going back to the prior highs. So to your point, Danny, about just what was going on in the underpinnings of the economy and, and just what kind of what you were seeing through the lens of the markets. And then Guy, you had said this on numerous occasions over the last few months, you're like gold's going, I don't know, 120, 130. And here we are, or excuse me, oil is going 120, 130. And here we are. Would we have gotten here without the invasion uh, on both of these fronts? Would have gotten here. Would have taken longer. But we were headed here anyway. I, this just gave the – it just sort of – it sped up the process in my opinion. But I think the trajectory was going that way anyhow. The supply-demand imbalances were – you know, it, it foretold this story. And I'm not trying to be some – pundit that, that was saying i told you so but we we were talking about this in the fall that that the supply demand imbalances were there now we're at demand that is is exceeding 2019 levels or 2019 pre-covid levels and you don't have the supply to back it up and now you take you put this factor in and 
you have this, as I like to say, which is brew. Now, everybody's talking about energy now, which leads me to believe, you know, we might exhaust ourselves at these levels, but I still don't think it's over. And again, there's there's more chatter about an SPR release, which is beyond asinine, but that's for another show. But, you know, the energy's here. It's here from, it's not just the reasons that you see on the evening news. The fundamentals are in place for a long time. And by the way, COVID and the lack of CapEx during that time led to all this. I mean, you can, a lot of these things were put in place literally two years ago. Geopolitical risk was underpriced, right? So we, that came to the forefront. The oil companies have been underinvesting um, for a while, ESG mandates, so forth. Um, and so it didn't take much to kind of flash forward to kind of make this happen, right? And so there is no playbook right now for, I think, what's going on. I think you have a bunch of playbooks. You've got a little bit of 70s, a little bit of 80s, a little bit of the financial crisis, a little bit of the dot-com bust, all kind of put together. But never have we faced something like this when rates are really at zero and there's only one direction to go where the Fed has no choice but to keep pulling liquidity from the market in, in the face of this. And so, if anything, it's obviously exacerbated all the inflationary things which were already in motion. And to Guy's point, I mean, the cure for higher oil is higher oil. Um, and that's going to happen here. And that's going to force a slowdown. And so, I'll, I'll stick with the stagflation. We were headed there anyway. We might get there sooner. And just looking at the way that the, that the market's pricing in Fed hikes from here, um, they're not really coming off that much. I mean, they're no, still yeah. pretty much six for 2022. And the last thing I'll say, guys, is credit spreads are starting to widen across the board. Not huge, but enough to make a difference on pricing and not to get wonky here. But again, you know, credit card loans, right, get sold. Home equity loans get sold into the marketplace. And if, if investors and fixed income funds start requiring a higher return, uh, for the for what's in the market, that means that that the margins get squeezed on a lot of these players. And listen, this is part of the, what the Fed has done, right? The, the Fed has created this environment, and there's mm -hmm. too many companies, and money was free, and it's not going to be free anymore. And so, discount rates are changing. So anyway, so, I, so Danny, I, yeah. just just explain something to me, because like I said, <clears throat> excuse me, the first crises that I in my career in the late '90s was it '97 or 98 with Russia, right, which led to the collapse of long-term capital. And explain why, under worst-case scenarios with sanctions on Russia and then, like, let's say, import bans on their oil, how a collapse of that economy cannot have a big effect on the global economy because a lot of people last weekend were talking about a Lehman moment and then a lot of, you know, the smarter people, you know, the people who like to come over the top and, and, and kind of make fun of the, the, the pundity dummies uh, on Twitter and stuff was saying it's not going to happen. JP Morgan is down $10 week over week. It's trading, it's down two and a half percent today. It's trading at like 131. I mean, the bank stocks here in the U.S. act like there's something happening. Last week on Market Call on a couple different occasions, Guy and I threw up that JP Morgan chart because, again, the stock was already going down after their Q4 report. People did not like that report. Expenses were higher, nothing to do with any sort of geopolitical risks here. But the bank stocks do not act well right now. And so tell me why um, in, in 1998, when the Russian economy was probably, a, you know, a fraction of what it is now, or not a fraction, but, you know, um, why, why, why would this not be a moment for us? I mean, I think that was combination right that was um long-term capital right it, it was happening uh there was a lot of leverage in the system 
Um, so it wasn't just about Russian ruble. It was Russian ruble times 100, right, because there was other currencies involved here. And, and I just think that you can't have these types of moves in all these asset classes. There's permanent damage being done to various funds, probably meaning permanent damage done to some banks. But more than that, Dan, every bank is treated differently. And it, it starts here at home to a degree, too. There's no IPO calendar. There's no IPOs happening, right? M&A is going to subside a little bit. So rates move higher. It makes everything more expensive to get done. And so there's double impact for them. So the, the banks like Citigroup um, that have a lot of global exposure, JP Morgan, a lot of global exposure, and also decent exposure at home, it's a double whammy. But I think it's, you know, um, you know I, I think people are programmed to think, all right, wherever there's trouble in the markets, the banks are going to be wearing some of it. And the longer that this goes on, um, the longer the chance for more damage. And I talked about this on our podcast last week and on Fast Money last week. You know, again, I don't think people realize the Volcker rule was kind of pulled in July 2020. And I think people may be fearing that the banks may find themselves in some trades that may go wrong. And if one, if there's one announcement at all, a couple hundred million dollars, a couple here, people will extrapolate. Wait. That means all banks have it. So. Anyway, there's a lot of credit funds, um, you know, which could be in trouble here. And again, these banks lend to those funds. So, Dan, there's a lot in there with the banks, but I think it's sell first, ask questions so, later. Somebody, somebody um, guy, I'd love to get your take on this. I was on a space, I think, with that guy, George Noble, and they seem like really smart guys. Um, there's a lot of, you know, smart people pining, and they talk for hours and hours. I don't know how these guys do it. But um, one of them brought this up that, like, they think SoftBank is a real issue. If you're talking about, you know, the fact of, all, like, you know, one of their biggest holdings was Alibaba. Alibaba's gotten killed. They have a lot of stuff in the public markets that's gotten absolutely killed. They haven't marked down any of their huge, huge private investments that were divorced of any sort of, you know, valuation that made any sense right on the way up. And that could have an interesting knock-on effect, markdowns um, in big organizations like SoftBank and the private markets, what that means for um, public markets, what it means for credit spreads. I'm just curious if that's something that, you know, there, there, there have to be other organizations out there global that have that. I haven't thought exposure. about it, but it makes sense. But again, you know, what is that a function of? I mean, their, their largesse and, and their mistakes were just a function of so much liquidity looking for so few interesting investment opportunities. And you start to just get involved in things that don't make any sense whatsoever. Weren't they the geniuses that, that spent, that put a huge amount of money into WeWork at some Correct, ridiculous guys. valuation? It's just, I mean, what does it say? I mean, again, you know, I sound like a hater because I am, but it, I mean, all this really comes down to when you flood the system with liquidity, when people are forced to put that liquidity to work, they will put, they will go right. farther and farther out the risk curve. And, that's Dan. Are. and by the way, and Danny, I'm sure has some thoughts on this, but, I'm sure there's some people listening to this and thinking, well, with the markets going lower and crude going higher, the Fed's going to have to come in and save the day again. And that could not be more wrong. They are so screwed right now because if things get worse there, inflation gets worse. And if things get better there, guess what? Inflation gets worse. I mean, it's it's literally it could not have lined up um, in in a worse form for those geniuses at the Federal Reserve. And they really. If they realize it and they don't say it, I mean, that's a problem. And if they don't realize it, that's a bigger problem. And they have to move forward because right now inflation is a problem. And they know it. And, and it's, this is a two- to three-year situation to try to get themselves out of. Dan, SoftBank was blowing up in a bull market. I mean, yeah. so imagine what's going to happen to them in a bear market. And one other thing that's worth noting is the dollar. 
right? And the, and the yeah. dollar, I see what it's doing at the moment, but 40% of S&P revenues come outside the U.S. So yeah, the stock market can benefit near term because money comes back home, so to speak, and you saw it go into bonds and so forth. But eventually that has an impact on companies' businesses, business operations because it's such a global economy. Anyone well, you made that, that point on the tape on Friday. We were talking about how the MAGA complex, the Microsoft, the Apple, the Google, the Amazon, it really, you know, held up very well during this, you know, this this malaise. If you look at Google's down 9% on the year, um, Apple's down 8%. Your point was that um, you're probably seeing money flows just the way you're seeing money flow in the dollar, just like the way you saw money flow into U.S. Treasuries. They're flowing into the biggest names in the stock market. If you look at Microsoft and Apple, they're kind of like bonds anyway, right? Um, so I think that's interesting. And I think the Dixie, you know, getting back towards Excellent. that 100, that nice round number that it hasn't been into or been near since really the start of the pandemic. We saw initial initially the dollar got nailed and then it was like that kind of weird move right above um 100 in the dixie um and obviously the euro is really weighing on um or you know helping the dollar here i want to go to a tweet guys um she was up early this morning and i'm not picking on her by any means but i want to go back to this and, and really we don't have to focus so much on oil but it's interesting that kathy wood was tweeting about this oil demand probably did hit a secular peak in 2019 the supply shock caused by the energy insecurity policies of the current u.s administration esg mandates globally and now russia's invasion of ukraine have raised prices to a point that will accelerate demand destruction that was the thing i wanted to get to the demand um destruction and we had halima craw from rbc capital on the podcast um it dropped on friday it was an awesome conversation she is a former cia agent she went to the CIA on December 1st, 2001, right after 9-11, and she started covering Nigeria, Nigeria, a big oil producer. And at the time, the mandate, or at least whatever her group's mandate within there, was really diversifying you know, U.S. Um, off of foreign oil for national security interests. I thought that was really interesting. So I'm just curious as far as that demand destruction. And the last point I want to make is that when the Fed, you guys just both said, the Fed screwed. They got to continue to fight inflation, to raise interest rates. The dollar is acting in kind, which is what we saw in 2014-15, right? We saw rates go higher when we stopped um, buying bonds and then came off ZERP. The dollar rallied, rates rallied, and crude oil ended up getting destroyed. Okay, are we literally on the precipice, though, of if this thing were to de-escalate and there was nothing with Iran, I mean, does crude oil get absolutely killed if the Fed continues to raise rates? and the dollar goes higher. Guys, you want to take that? Well, I've, well I've listen, oil, oil being higher will have an impact on the U.S. consumer. And by definition, the comment I made earlier and guys said before is higher oil, your cure for higher oil is higher oil. It will have an impact. As it relates to ESG and kind of what started some of this process, of which I'm full support of the environment, obviously corporate governance, social aspects, right? Um, it just doesn't happen. In a, in a flashpoint, right? It happens over a long period of time. So that you know things are bad when you're going to Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and saying, hey, can we sign some deals for oil, right? You know, you know things can get bad. So um, this, this was already playing out, like I said, as far as oil prices go, but I do think it will have a massive impact on the consumer. And let me just add again, when the Fed raises rates, there's a double impact there for any floating debt that's out there on the consumer balance sheet. So again, I, I stick with the stagflationary comment that i made i'll let you know guy comment here yeah i guess well, at but. a certain point i mean it's going to have its it'll there'll be a day of reckoning and you'll have probably a 30 percent downside move in crude over the course of 
three or four trading days. I just don't think we're at that point yet. You know, I listen, I'm wrong all the time, but I know it was at least two or three weeks ago. I said, you're probably going to see $120 re faster than people realize. That. And here and here we are. I don't think people understand fully how quickly these things can get out of control. And forget about crude oil. I mean, that's obviously the one that everybody's talking about. And, and we've talked about this from time to time as well. Look what's going on in some of these soft commodities and some of these base metals. It's it's crazy, and it goes back to something that Jeff Curry said from Goldman Sachs, who's, who runs their commodities department. He's been in the business for 30 years. He said he's never seen anything like it, and I'm paraphrasing, but I'm close to accurate. We, we're running out of everything, and you know, there's no cure for running out of everything. So you know, Danny mentioned it. When CapEx was stopped during COVID on top of the ESG concerns, you don't just – flip that switch it doesn't happen overnight so we're gonna have to sort of wade our way through this but again if you think it's just again I, politics are boring as shit and people will be quick to, to point out the biden administration has screwed this up and they clearly haven't helped but the seeds for this were sown long before joe biden was president hey dan kathy wood's comment let me just i know other comment she made is that she's encouraged by venture capital marks in the portfolio versus what the public marks are telling you do I even yeah. have to go down, down that, that rabbit hole? No, it's of, ridiculous. Of mismarks of venture capital portfolios. It's ridiculous. Anyway, I wanted to add that in there. Right, listen, and, I, I got to be honest with you. I this thing's we, we. I think we're all in agreement. This gets much worse before it gets better. And I don't know how she sticks stays in business. I just don't because I, I don't even know why she's tweeting. I don't know why she's going on TV. Um, the stocks that she owns are dead. Like Niedermeyer, dead. Well, Danny you know, Moses. real quick, um, Dan, it would have been interesting yeah. for somebody last summer. Like somebody was in the big chill movie to point out that that ARC ETF was probably an incredible short opportunity. Oh, wait a second. Somebody actually <laughs> did that. Just, just throwing the, the it out there. The big short. I, I, I got to tell you, though, man, as we're talking here, we're trying to be calm about things in general. And I'm just looking the way the banks are trading. And they're going to listen, they're going to come from these bag of names. Week low, by the way, I know you pointed that out, but it is making a 52 week low today. I mean, that's this is JP Morgan we're talking about. And the point I've well, it's going to 120. I mean, that that's that's happening. And we man just tweeted out the chart. I mean, you look at, um, you know, you look at just the technical setup here. I mean, that breakout level, remember when it broke out in late 2019 above 120? Um, it had consolidated there for almost two years. Well, that's a magnet. That's where it's going. And then when you think about retracing, you know, at least half down there of that move from the COVID lows, I mean, that's kind of insane. They're just going to be knock-on effects. I mean, it's just that. So I don't mean like contagion or anything like that. It's just going to it's going to. Hey, roll. Dan, can I make another comment? Like on the. I'm not even involved in Bed Bath & Beyond, but Ryan Cohen taking a stake in the company, sending a letter, um, and the stock at one point, I'm not looking at it right now, I think it's at 26 bucks, you know, stuff like that. When you still see stuff like that happening, you yeah. know, there's still, there's still a lot of money in this market, and people want to believe, and they want to find a reason to buy things. So we're still not near, like, I'll know that we're closer to a bottom when certain stocks stop reacting to certain news, right? That's always how you see a cycle in. Like, if you told me that he makes that announcement today and Bed Bath Beyond's up 2 to $3, I'm like, okay, that's a lot more rational. But people are still, you know, 
Bradley. Why do people give a shit that the, the founder of Chewy is taking a stake in Bloodbath and Beyond? Seriously, I, I don't... I, like, I honestly, he's being opportunistic. He's looking at 27% short interest. And I think he knows that there's like an army of apes who are going to follow him. It's, no, it's a dumb, not. it's a, just a dumb trade. I mean, well, if listen, you're the asshole who paid 30 bucks for this thing on the opening, you deserve to lose money. Well, I guess I guess I touched a nerve there. But I, I was I was just going to say, listen, they think he's going to do it for GameStop. They think he can do it for Bed Bath Beyond, which is turn something into an e-commerce marketplace from a, you know, from physical stores, so I can see the thought process. But my point is that, and I think you obviously took my point around with it, is that when you still <laughs> see that stuff, though, it's still, to me, it's discouraging, not encouraging. It tells me that we're not, we haven't cleaned this up yet. It tells me that there's still too much money chasing, right, some of these ideas, and they're getting fewer and far between. So I'm not yeah. encouraged by how it moves. I'm discouraged. So, so let me ask you guys a question. Real quick, Dan, if yeah. you're looking for something, people, we pointed this out for new people to this forum hyg is something i think it's critical to continue to watch it doesn't trade in terms of volatility but it's gone from 88 i think it's 82 and change right now that thing if that starts going below 80 that's going to be your sign that, that to danny's point it's going to get worse before it gets better. hold on let me let me make a comment on that so you, you guys are trying to find what can the market do what can the fed do you will have an easing of collateral requirements in certain asset classes right you will have the ability to borrow more against some of these fixed income ETFs. I'm talking about the companies that create them, so they're not forced to liquidate certain things. You will see things like that occur. You know, my other, other you know, the small nuggets, but there are things that will happen. I promise you that. Like that, that you will see some type of um, easing. I'm sure. So, are you guys watching um, some of these airline stocks? Obviously, oil doesn't. Well, higher oil like this is not. Fantastic. Um, I have to assume that um, the invasion and it gets worse from here, and there's some sort of occupying force. European vacation, yeah, European vacations yeah. are going to get absolutely destroyed. I mean, sadly. I mean, I, I'm not. I mean, I don't mean sadly for the vacationers. I mean, in general, for you know what's going on there. It just we were worried about a year and a half ago. And then here's another one. Take a look at this Boeing chart. This is quite possibly one of the worst charts ever. When you think, overlay that with what the S&P has done since the start of 2021, and look at this well-defined downtrend. It's like, it's a mess here, man. And I mean, you know what? For all the companies out there who, who, who've been getting away with shit, these guys literally were negligent in the deaths of two plane crashes and like 350 people, and they deserve to be in the shitter, in my opinion. Pretty well, remarkable. Are, Boeing's below 180 now. I mean, if you think about where this thing peaked, I, I want to say it was a $450 stock or something in February of 19. Uh, and then you obviously saw what subsequently happened. So to your point, Dan, I mean, we could, well, I don't know if we're going to visit the levels we saw in the spring of 2020, but we're going to get pretty damn close. Boeing obviously sells jets around the world to various countries, right? And obviously, with credit spread widening and what's happening around the world, that hurts. I don't have to discuss the the correlation to the airlines obviously being healthy as well to boeing and obviously the airlines oil high oil prices is a killer for them um and now with all these bookings probably getting canceled or being pushed out obviously it's a hit to them so um you know i wouldn't be surprised if the I, u.s government come in there again as well 
Danny, I was, uh, well, that, that's where I was kind of going with some of these, you know, like basically a lot of the fiscal stimulus that we saw, you know, anytime we see it, we see it for the reason is that they're trying to avoid corporate defaults, right? Uh, or, well, in, in the case of the fiscal stuff, obviously the monetary stuff is a big part of that too. Um, it just seems like some of the, some of the industry in this environment, if that makes sense. Yeah, listen, I think it's I think uh, it made sense, you know, oh. yeah, I think, again, credit spread, anyone that has debt on their balance sheet, anyone that's funded that way um, is going to get is going to get repriced here. That's it. You know, and Boeing is, happens to fall under the worst case scenario under geopolitical risk, under the customer list, under financing. needs. I mean, they have debt, too. So all that stuff. And Dan, um, yeah, you're breaking up a little bit. Dan. Sorry about the other that. thing I want to mention real quick is there seems to continue to be this flight to perceived quality in the form of Apple for people. Uh, market sell-offs, Apple seems to be the place that money's finding a home. To answer an earlier question, or what Danny brought up, how will I know it's over? I think when it, as you see, if Apple starts to deteriorate, that will be a sign that maybe we're getting in the late innings. But the more people, you know, people are just flowing into Apple, again, as some perceived flight to quality in an environment where, it might not be as quality as you think. So just keep an eye on that as well. I think we lost Dan. Um, Dan, if you're still there. In the I am. Up, oh, Dan's back. Sorry. Hi, guys. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, the flight to quality thing. I mean, I guess it makes sense. But, you know, Guy, your point, very simply, we've seen this precedent now where – a bunch of U.S. multinationals said they're going to stop selling in Russia, and I think I saw someone tweet out, and, and sorry if I'm just ripping it off, that that nine percent of of Mike McDonald's sales is in Russia. That seems like an awful lot to me, but if Apple stopped selling in Russia, what if there was some sort of situation with China and Taiwan guy, which you suggested could be definitely in the cards? What if they stop selling there? Like, have they set a really bad precedent? I mean, and you talk about a surging dollar, you talk about surging costs of goods and services and everything like that. Sooner or later, you know, even things that are considered, I don't know how Apple's iPhones have turned into staples, but they're clearly discretionary at the price point they are relative to many of their competitors. At some point, and their ability to to kind of source chips and stuff, that could be a huge issue. And the fact that the stock's only down 8% from its all-time high seems crazy to me. Now, quickly, just, you know, again, I... I don't really care one way or another about Apple. It's funny the amount of people that bow at the altar of Apple. But they made a decision, a business decision, correct decision, by the way, probably, to pull themselves out of Russia, as did Nike. And I get it. Um, but they've also set this precedent. So the question you have to ask yourself, if something, if something were to happen between China and Taiwan, being that that precedent is set, that would force Apple's hand which would force them to do something the likes of which they did in Russia, which would be devastating for the stock. Or they would say, you know what, we're not going to do anything, which would be devastating for the stock because the public outcry would be such that they'd really they'd lose under the, under the court of public opinion. So they put themselves yeah. in this position, and we'll see what's, how it's going to play out. Listen, Dan, I think there's a fine line between punishing – ordinary Russian citizens who are obviously not supportive of this, of what's going on in Ukraine, and punishing the government and the oligarchs. And that's a fine line. You start to cut off services to everyday Russians that really have nothing to do with this, right? But one thing is happening, and I would tell everybody out there, it's not funny, Russia's internet, they're 
taking over their own internet right now. We're kind of forcing them to do that, obviously. And I think, you know, it's good that we cut off um, certain information highways, but I would fully expect a cyber attack here. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist here, but they've done it before in the past. And so I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that that's going to be their move here. I don't think I'm stating anything that people aren't thinking about, but I don't know if we were truly all those smaller attacks on our grid and things here on services and identities and all the stuff that's been happening over the years has largely been blamed on Russia and proven to be Russia. Why do we think that they're not going to do something like that drastic, especially once they set up their own internet and don't need our communication services, right? So I don't know. It's just that that part, those things, which you can't really price into the market. But again, I'll throw that into geopolitical risk, which I still think is underpriced. Those are the things that I think we need to kind of watch out for at home. Yes, this is being fought on European soil and so forth, but let's not kid ourselves. I, I think we're, you know, I think we need to be fully prepared for something happening here, you know, in that regard. So. Lost Dan again. Yeah. Dan's back. No. Well, it's it's coming on to the top of the hour. By the way, we will have our market call today, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, as we do on Mondays, Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting will be joining us. He's done extraordinary work uh, in terms of some of his technicals coming to fruition. By the way, just want to mention that OIH is breaking out. I thought it could get to 285. I think it's 272 as we do this right now, Danny Moses. I got to give some shout out to Vinny and Jordan. Zero deposits way ahead of the We just probably a year ahead. And usually being ahead is being early is wrong. In this case, being early was spot on. Yeah, they've been on the trade for a while. They're having another good year. Um, we'll get them back on to talk about energy in general. Um, so, and I know they're big on nuclear energy investments as well. Those so. guys are total, yeah, total studs. Oh, sorry, Dan. Let, 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 let's just real quickly, cause we got a minute or two here. A couple things that are on my radar right here. Okay. Let's see. Microsoft's down 2% right now. Um, Google's down 2%. Amazon's down nearly 2%. I expect Apple to kind of play a little catch up guy. Your number down there. And we're only bringing it up because it was the low it touched its 200 day moving average almost about a week and a half ago is 152 let's see how that thing acts tesla danny we haven't even mentioned that one what did it it basically traded down to 700 and had that ricochet move back um that one's important I, to me from a sentiment standpoint i also think it's interesting look at some of these stocks that had those massive gaps post earning they were getting killed and then they ripped one of them was square it's filling in almost the entire gap from earnings. I think that's really interesting. Also keep an eye on Snap. That's the one that was down early Feb in sympathy with Facebook. And then it had that like 50% one day move, not too dissimilar to what Square did. That thing is heading back to fill in that gap. You have stocks like that, that fill in <coughs> gaps. It is lights out. And, and then the other one, just keep an eye on some of those arc names, which you didn't think could go any lower. Uh, not only will they go lower, they're going to get really disgusting. So just, I, I mean, from my experience, trading these things in the aftermath of the dot-com and then the aftermath of the financial crisis, I mean, time was the thing that really made it um, attractive for some of those beaten up things. Would you agree with that, Danny? Like, Danny, you hated most financial stocks, most bank stocks throughout, you know, 07, 08, probably early 09, but at some point you probably started to like them, right? Yeah, they're going to be utility stocks. And I think there will, you know, many of these banks will be fine. Again, no, but I meant the time. Risk. My question is about the time, yeah. about your ability to kind of, you know, like have all of the excess brought out and then take a shot on them. 
Exactly. No, yeah, it takes a long time to filter through to your point, and then it just happens. And I think, like I said before, we say this all the time, don't kid yourselves, not about bank stocks in general, but all of them. Yeah. Take advantage of these type, this type of volatility to sell into strength, and you can buy into weakness and just be smart about it. And I think quality, like I'll keep saying it, the Walmarts of the world, yes, it's not sexy, but, but I think it's these names are defensive in nature, and the highest cash dividend-paying names that with the best balance sheets are going to be where you can get the best benefit, and a lot of these companies can pass on or are less impacted from an inflation perspective than others. So that's it. True that guy. You got anything? Any parting words? That's it. Top of the hour. Audi 5000, man. Thanks for being with us, guys. Danny Moses, thanks for jumping on. Always uh, always fun to talk to you in, in, in markets where we know you love calamity, not the sort of calamity that's going on in Europe, but as far as kind of marking excesses, market excesses being unwound here. And that's what we're seeing. So thanks, you guys, for joining us. Thanks to CME for sponsoring it. Listen to our conversation on the tape. Guy, Danny, and I had a more in-depth conversation about markets. It dropped on Friday. You can find it in the On the Tape podcast feed. You can follow it on Twitter. 